take, it, take your Bible and turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 11. Mark and chapter number 11. And as you're finding that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's word, Mark chapter number 11. And we're going to look here in verses 20 through verse 26. Mark eleven twenty through 26. And the word of God says this. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. And let's pray together one more time. Father, thank you for the service thus far. And now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word here, I pray, Lord, that you would remove the distractions from our minds and from this place. And that we might have a full focus on what your word is saying here. And that, Lord, we would all have a readiness of mind and a willingness of heart to receive the word of God. And that we would not just be good hearers of the word, but, but good doers of the word. And, uh, Lord, I ask that uh, you would just guide and direct during this time. And I uh, pray these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning is, When You Need to Move a Mountain. Now, I realize where I am living right now when I say, when you need to move a mountain. Because, see, here in Oklahoma, we don't really have that many mountains. I realize that there are some, but uh, they are more like uh, little hills, um, little ant hills compared to what I'm sure many of us have seen in the area. I grew up in uh, Lancaster, California, in the Antelope Valley. Uh, we were situated between two major mountain uh, ranges. We were uh, fixed between, uh, to the south of us, what, I'm sorry, to the north of us was the Tehachapi Mountains, and to the south of us was the San Gabriel Mountain Range. And as a teenager, I attended the Antelope Valley High School, and the first stanza of our school alma mater song, and I still remember most of it, even though it's been a couple, yay, decades since I've been in high school. It's actually been more than that. But anyway, uh, I'm coming up on my 30th uh, reunion. I can't even believe that. It's two years from now, so it's not that close. Um, so I'm going to enjoy these next couple years. But as a teenager, uh, we went, I went to Antelope Valley High School, and, and our alma mater went like this. Down in Antelope Valley, with its skies so blue, 
lies our alma mater neath the sky so blue. With its snow-capped mountains and its poppies fair, we know our fondest memories will always linger there. So in the song, it talks about these snow-capped mountains, and during the winter months there in Lancaster, we would often see those beautifully uh, snow beautiful snow-capped mountains in our, either to our north or to our south. And so we were surrounded, I was surrounded by mountains there. Then before arriving in Oklahoma almost four years ago, our family spent a little over three years in Helena, Montana, which is very close to the Rocky Mountain Range. In fact, Helena was in a valley of sorts, and we were surrounded by mountains, and one of them was called Mount Helena. And I think I have a picture of it here on the screen, just to show you what a mountain looks like here in Oklahoma, okay? Because uh, I realize that some of you, you may not really know what a mountain looks like. This is a mountain, okay? Um, and I know you all know that. I'm kidding around. Uh, but uh, anyway, so uh, was Jesus here in, in the passage that I read just a minute ago is he talked about that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. It, was Jesus meaning a literal mountain being removed? Now, I believe here our Savior is using figurative language. A mountain would be something far bigger than us, far more than we could handle on our own. Uh, a mountain is an insurmountable obstacle, an impossible situation, or an overwhelming problem. And we all face these types of mountains in our lives, don't we? We may not have the physical... A lot of physical mountains here in Oklahoma, but we sure do have the figurative mountains in, our, in Oklahoma, don't we? And so my question is, uh, what mountain do you need to move in your life today? Does it have to do with the financial situation that you are currently going through and, and you just don't know how you're going to make ends meet and you're just not sure how the next bills are going to get paid or, or this financial uh, obligation, how you're going to be able to meet that, is that your mountain that you're facing today? Or does it have to do with your family? Is it some type of uh, overwhelming uh, problem in your family that is too big for you to handle on your own? Does it have to do with your marriage? Does it have to do with your children? How about your parents? Is it a health issue with one of your family members? Currently, I am going through and facing a family mountain myself uh, with my aunt that I love so very much is going through pancreatic cancer right now. It's a mountain. It's too, too big for me. It's, it, it's overwhelming. It's, it's insurmountable. Does the mountain you have to do with your, uh, do with your future? You say, there's something I'm facing, and I'm just not sure how I'm going to be able to pass it and get over it, and, and it's, it's overwhelming. It's impossible. It's a mountain that I need removed. Well, according to this passage, Jesus gives us some things that we can implement into our lives to be able to literally move these mountains that we are facing. And uh, it would be pretty remarkable for us to say, I mean, for my family who has been there in Helena and knows what Mount Helena is like, we've actually hiked it. I've hiked it a couple times. 
And it may not look like that big of a mountain, but once you start going up that hill, it's like, man, when is this going to be over? <laughs> when you finally get to the top, it's like, okay, that was kind of worth it. But, um, you know, to, to be able to call and say, Mount Helena, go into the sea. I mean, what good is that? That really isn't really all that important and uh, won't really accomplish that much. But being able to have the ability to say to those problems, those insurmountable obstacles that we're going through in our life, and to be able to say, be removed, now that's something that I think all of us would really want to be able to do. And here Jesus gives us three very important uh, things that we uh, could, and uh, actions that we could do in our lives to be able to remove these mountains. What are they according to this passage? Well, this morning I want to look at these three actions that God gives us here in order to be able to remove these mountains that we all face in our life from time to time. Number one, he mentions here the importance of exercising faith. We need to exercise faith. In verse number 22, Jesus answering, saith unto them, have faith in God. Now, remember the context of this. We've been kind of in this little passage here, and we've uh, seen that this fig tree that uh, Jesus came to, and remember we uh, covered that with the message entitled, Where's the Fruit? Uh, take off of uh, that old Wendy's commercial, Where's the Beef? But here as Jesus comes to this fig tree in verse number 12 and 13 of this passage, he is expecting to find fruit and there is none. And so in verse 14, he curses that tree and says, no man can eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Well, verse 15 through uh, 19, Jesus comes the next day and cleanses the temple. And then the very next day after that, verse 20, in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. And Jesus didn't exactly respond to the fig tree anymore. Now he's saying, look, have faith in God. You have, in other words, you haven't seen anything yet. You're pretty amazed about this fig tree that uh, once looked pretty good on the outside but didn't bear fruit, now is withered away. You're pretty amazed at that. You haven't seen anything yet. So in other words, have faith in God because he can do great and mighty things. So we need to exercise faith. A couple thoughts about uh, exercising faith. First, it's important to understand the object of our faith. You know, notice Jesus didn't just simply say have faith. He said, have faith in God. And that is a very specific, those extra two words are very important. Because this morning as we face the mountains, we're not going to say, hey, I have faith in the mountain to be removed. No, I have faith in God to remove that mountain. See, there's a big difference. I believe my, my kids are going to uh, get right with God. I believe uh, this financial um, situation is going to be resolved. Uh, my faith is not in the, in the problem. My faith is in the God who can remove that problem. See, that's a big difference. He is the object of our faith. And by the way, he is worthy of our faith. I remember in, in school, I took tests and I tried to ace every test. But you know what? I didn't ace every test. There were even tests where I got a 
fantastic grade, if you know what I mean. I didn't do so well on it. And a lot of red marks all over the page. But you want to know something? God has never failed any test he has ever taken. And he never will fail. He promises that he will not fail us nor forsake us. And so he is worthy of our trust. One night a house caught fire. And a young boy was forced to flee to the roof. The father stood on the ground below with outstretched arms calling to his son. Jump! I'll catch you! He knew the boy had to jump in order for his life to be saved. But all the boy could see was flame, smoke, and blackness. As can be imagined, he was afraid to leave that roof. His father kept yelling, Jump! I will catch you! But the boy protested, Daddy, I just can't see you. And the father replied, but I can see you, and that's all that matters. And so as we face uh, big, insurmountable obstacles in our life, we may not be able to see uh, the Lord, but, but God sees us, and we need to trust in Him to see us through the situation that we are going through. Theologian by the last name of Machen, I have one of his books in my office. It was a Greek book, but here's what he said. He said, the more we know of God, the more unreservedly we will trust him. The greater our progress in theology, the simpler and more childlike will be our faith. The more you understand who God really is and his power and his character, the more you'll trust him. And so that's why it's important for us to be people of the book who read God's word every day, who are learning and growing and studying so that we can know that God is worthy of our trust and that he could be the object of our faith. In April 1988, the evening's the evening news reported on a photographer who was a skydiver. He had jumped from a plane along with numerous other skydivers and filmed the group as they fell and opened their parachutes. And on the film shown on the telecast, as the final skydiver opened his chute, the picture went berserk. The announcer reported that the cameraman had fallen to his death, having jumped out of the plane without his parachute. It wasn't until he reached for the absent ripcord that he realized he was free-falling without a parachute. And until that point, the jump probably seemed exciting and fun. But tragically, he had acted, though, or with thoughtless haste and deadly foolishness. Nothing could save him, for his faith was in a parachute never buckled on. And faith in anything but an all-sufficient God can be just as tragic spiritually. Only with faith in Jesus Christ dare we step into the dangerous excitement of life. It's important for us to have faith, but it's important for us to know where our faith is. Our faith isn't just in faith. Our faith is in God. And Jesus said it very simply here. Have faith in God. And I want us to see not only the object of faith here, but secondly, the optimism of faith. As we continue reading in verse number 23, here Jesus is saying, look, when you have faith, let's not start doubting. 
Let's believe that God can answer. Let's believe that God can do this. Let's read what it says here in verse 23. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast in the sea. And here it is. And shall not doubt in his heart. And then, let's keep reading here. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. So two ways that Jesus says we are to have optimism in our faith. First is a negative. Uh, no doubt. Having no doubt. And then the next is a positive. Shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. See, faith in God does make great optimists. Over in Burma, missionary of yesteryear, Adoniram Judson, was lying in a jail. Back then, it wasn't like a concrete sail with TV and nice cot. and No, no, no. This was a foul situation. He had 32 pounds of chains on his ankles. And his feet were bound to a bamboo pole. A fellow prisoner said, Dr. Judson, what about the prospect of the conversion of the heathen? And with a sneer on his face, he said that. Well, his instant reply, Dr. Judson said this, the prospects are just as bright as the promises of God. See, even though his circumstances were less than ideal, even though it was insurmountable, even though it was an overwhelming situation that he was in, he still had this uh, idea of optimism in his faith. In verse 23, he said, uh, It shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. During an especially trying time in the work of the China Inland Mission, another missionary of yesteryear, Hudson Taylor, wrote this to his wife. We have only 25 cents and all the promises of God. We may not have much. It may look impossible. There may be a huge mountain in front of us, but we have the promises of God, and I believe, and I'm not going to doubt. Many people pray, but don't actually believe that God can or will answer their prayer. But here it's evident that when we express our faith in God, that there needs to be an optimism that we should not doubt, but shall believe that those things are going to come to pass. We need to exercise faith. But secondly, as we continue working through this passage, we need to also expect favor. Verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what, so, what's, uh, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Are these the words of Christ or not? They are, for those who have a red-letter Bible, what color are they in your Bible? Red. Jesus, has he ever lied before? Can he lie? So verse 24, was he just kidding when he said this? No, he wasn't kidding. What's so thing, what's things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. In other words, expect that God will show favor to you. Believe that God can answer your prayer, and that because He's a good and gracious God, that He will answer your prayer. Jeremiah 33, 3. This is God's phone number, by the way. 
Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Like, aren't you glad that when you call to the Lord, he promises to hear and to answer your call? But Thursday night, we had our missions committee meeting back in our conference room and had a blessed time there talking about our missionaries and hearing about what's going on around the world through our missions program. Well, I had on the, in front of me, I had my, my cell phone that was sitting in front of me. And uh, I got a call, and it was my dad. And I thought, my dad, he's important to me, but I'm kind of in the middle of something pretty important too. And so I just kind of declined the call. And you know how you do that on an iPhone? You have to hit the power button twice. And so I did that and sent him to voicemail. And I ended up calling him later that night. And we had a good visit and talk. And he understood. He was, he, he's like, I know you're busy. It's fine. Don't worry about it. But isn't it precious that, when, that, that God, to know this, that God will never decline your call because he's too busy? He's never too busy. I mean, he's not like, well, hey, you know, that war in Ukraine thing has kind of got me tied up, so I'm just going to have to send you to voicemail. Why don't you talk to somebody else? No. Hey, somebody else is talking to me right now. I'm on the phone with someone else. They're, they have a really important need right now, and so I just don't have time to hear from you. No, that's not God. God is able to hear all of our prayers, even if we call at the same time. You can go to him anytime, for anything, for as long as you want. There's no, remember, again, some of you aren't, you know, these teenagers don't really understand. But, but do you remember those days when the cell phones just came out and all these, you know, cell phone plans had like a certain amount of minutes every month? I remember when my wife and I were engaged to be married. And I got one of these plans, and I didn't really I didn't read all the fine print and all that. I just was like, yeah, yeah, just give me the phone, and I want to call my wife, or my future wife. And uh, I remember having like a uh, several hundred dollar phone bill because I spent too much time talking to her. I'm thankful. Well, there's still several, several hundred dollars, but it's different now. <laughs> they, they package it a little differently. See, there, look, with God, there is no like, you and I have unlimited talk and text with God. Okay, do we use it? We have it, but do we use it? And most people, and those teenagers, they have unlimited talk, but do they ever call? No, they want to text. So God delights to hear from you, but guess what? He also delights in giving good things to you. It's part of his nature. It's who he is. Remember the words of our Savior when he said on the Sermon on the Mount, there in Matthew chapter 7, he said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? So faith, if you want to ask me, Later for a fish, do you want me to give you a snake instead? No, she is freaked out by snakes. Rightfully so. 
No, I, and, and then he goes on to say, hey, look, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, uh, give good things to them that ask him? Do you believe that? That God is wanting to give good things to his children? This past Tuesday, I took Luke grocery shopping. And it was just me and him in the grocery store. Very dangerous. Because we kind of avoided all the healthy aisles. We went after the good stuff. We were about done uh, heading to the register after getting... The, the main reason we went, honestly, was to get some root beer and some ice cream for root beer floats later, later that night. And to me, that's a worthy, worthy trip to make. Even on Tuesday, when it was supposed to be 111 degrees, that was, that was a good reason to get out and go do a trip like that. But we were finishing our, our, our deal, and uh, we were, I was putting some English muffins in our cart, and something else came into our cart. See, Luke had taken a box of ding-dongs and put them in our cart. And then we get to the register, and I'm like, what is this? And he's like, well, uh, and I can tell that he was asking if we got ding-dongs. Now, I try to be a good father. Now, do you think I went, no, we're not getting that nonsense. Get that out of my cart. Nope, we got the ding-dongs, praise the Lord. <laughs> I may have had a couple of them uh, this week. And uh, here's the deal. My, my kid's asking me for something. It's in my power to do so. It cost me $3 and something cents. I want to be a blessing to my child. And to me too, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I happen to like these. These I call edible hockey pucks because they are in the shape of a hockey puck. Well, then on Wednesday night, when I get home from church, I met with some of the guys after the service, and uh, my family beat me home. And so when I get home, Faith met me at the door all excited and said, Can we have root beer floats? You think I said, Daughter, go back inside and stop asking me these dumb questions said, sure, because look, I want to give my kids good things, and I realize that sugar, I know, is not good for them. I understand that, but I want to bless my children, and so they all got to have a root beer float that night. I did say it had to be small. They got the biggest cup that I would allow <laughs> and then filled it to the very brim, um, but look, I want to give good things to my kids. Dads, don't you? Okay. Look, Jesus said, if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? How much more does he want to do that? He does want to do it more. So he delights in giving good things to his children. By the way, not because of how great his children are. None of us deserve anything good. See, he gives good things and delights to give good things to his children, not because of how great his children are, but because of how great he is. And we sung about it to start the service, how great thou art. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith, 
it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and, and, and listen to this thought here, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's his character. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's who he is. He likes to reward. He likes to bless his children. He likes to give good things. It's not a guarantee that all of us are going to have, you know, be filthy rich and have all the blessings in this world. No, but he does like to give good things to us to help us through this life. It's just who he is. It's his nature to give. By the way, the most quoted verse in all the Bible for God so loved the world that he gave. He is a giving God. When missionary again, I'm going to mention Hudson Taylor again. He went to China. He made the voyage on a sailing vessel. Was it near the channel between the southern Malay Peninsula and the island of Sumatra? The missionary heard an urgent knock on his stateroom door. He opened it. And there stood the captain of the ship. Mr. Taylor, he said, we have no wind. And we're drifting toward an island where the people are heathen, and I fear they are cannibals. What can I do, asked Taylor. And the captain said, well, I understand that you believe in God. I want you to pray for wind. All right, captain, I will. But you must first set the sail. Why, that's ridiculous. There's not even the slightest breeze. Besides, the sailors will think I'm crazy. Finally, because of Taylor's insistence, he agreed. And 45 minutes later, he returned and found the missionary still on his knees and said, you can stop praying now. We've got more wind than we know what to do with. See, here's the deal. Brother, Brother Hudson expected favor from God. He expected he followed, verse 24, Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. He believed that God would indeed answer his prayer, and he did. Now, let me just kind of call a little time out here, and lest we go too far down the road of the power of positive thinking, and you get to ask for whatever you want, and God will give it to you, that is heresy. We need to consider some other principles of prayer as found in the Word of God. Yes, we need to believe and we need to expect God to answer our prayers. However, our prayers need to be in line with the will of God. William MacDonald, in his commentary on this passage, said, These verses do not give a person authority to pray for miraculous powers for his own convenience or acclaim. This is not a, oh, cool, I want a new Lamborghini in my driveway. So, Lord, I believe you're going to give me a Lamborghini. And uh, where is my Lamborghini now that I prayed for it and believed that God would give it to me? Where is it? I, I even opened my garage door so that it could go inside it because I'm expecting him to show favor. No, that may not be within the will of God. Now, if it is, praise the Lord, let me borrow it from time to time if you would. Now, remember when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray in, in, in Matthew chapter 6? Let's just very quickly take a little field trip over to Matthew chapter number 6. Because I want you to see this with your own eyes here. Yes, what Jesus said in Mark 11 is absolutely true, but we need to also consider the other passages in the word of God regarding prayer and, 
And this is one that most of us are familiar with, Matthew 6 and verse number, verse number 9. He said, after this manner, therefore pray ye, what's considered here the, the Lord's Prayer, but more of a pattern of prayer here. Here's how we're to pray after this manner. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Notice verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And then verse number 11, give us this day our daily bread. So before verse number 11 is verse number 10. Aren't you glad you came to church today because you learned that 10 comes before 11? Okay. Well, verse 10 is a submission to the will of God. And then we get to verse 10 or verse 11, which tells us uh, now we have the asking. So before we ever get to the asking, before we ever get to the requesting, we get first submission to the will of God. And that's so very important. Uh, in this pattern of prayer, before we ever get to the requesting part, the asking part, we have spent time adoring him for who he is. And then we have submitted to his will. And then we say, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Then we read other verses like 1 John chapter 5, and you can flip back to Mark chapter 11. 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15 says this, and, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we know that... And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. But that phrase, according to his will, is so very important for us to consider as we look at these mountains that we're facing. So you need a mountain moved in your life. Exercise faith. Expect favor. Then thirdly, express forgiveness. Mark chapter 11 here, verse number 25. It says, and when you stand praying. Uh, again, I like that word when here. It's not an if. It's when. When you are praying. In other words, there's an expectation that we would pray. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you had ought against any. Your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Now, I'm sure that these were unexpected words to the disciples as they were considering the mountains that they were thinking about. They were thinking, okay, yeah, have faith in God and, and expect favor. You, yeah, that makes all sense. And then all of a sudden, it's this somewhat random mention, mentioning of forgiveness. And uh, in, in my study on this passage, I came across a powerful little quote, and it's, it's not even all that catchy. But it just caught my heart and attention. It was from J. Vernon McGee who said this, An unforgiving spirit will short-circuit the power of prayer. So, for those of us who are wanting and needing a mountain removed in our life and this obstacle that we're facing, whether it be related to our family, whether it be related to our future or our family, it, in one of those situations as we're facing it, and we go, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exercise my faith in God, and I'm going to have optimism in my faith, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expect God to answer. I'm going to expect favor in my life because I'm his child. But then we harbor this 
bitterness and this unforgiving spirit towards somebody else. And that's going to short circuit that prayer. I want to share a powerful story of forgiveness with you this morning. During World War II, a lady by the name of Corrie Ten Boom, how many have heard of Corrie Ten Boom? Most of us have. She and her family resisted the Nazis in World War II by hiding Jews in their home. They were ultimately discovered and sent to a concentration camp. Corrie barely survived until the end of the war, and her family members sadly died while in captivity. Even though she was seared by this terrible trial of fire, Corey's faith in God also managed to survive. And she spent much of her time in the post-war years traveling in Germany and elsewhere in Europe sharing her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, on one occasion in 1947, while speaking in a church in Munich, she noticed a balding man in a gray overcoat near the rear of the basement room. She had been speaking on the subject of God's forgiveness. But her heart froze within her when she recognized the man. She could picture him as she had seen him so many times before. In his blue Nazi uniform with the visored cap, the cruelest of the guards at the Ravensbrück camp where Corey had suffered the most horrible indignities and where her own sister had died. Yet here he was. At the end of her talk, coming up the aisle toward her with his hand thrust out. Thank you for your fine message, she said. How wonderful it is to know that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Yes, Corey had said that. She had spoken so easily of God's forgiveness But here was a man whom she despised and condemned with every fiber of her being. She just simply couldn't take his hand. She couldn't extend forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor. She realized that this man didn't even remember her. I mean, really, how could he remember one prisoner among the thousands that he was around? You mentioned Ravensbrook, the man continued, his hand still extended. I was a guard there. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's the truth. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's been hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things I did, but I know that God has forgiven me. And please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips that God has forgiven me from your lips. Corey recorded her response in her book. She said, I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven of and could not forgive. It could have not been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I stood there, and still I stood there with this coldness clutching my heart. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, 
an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. Then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bring tears to my eyes. She said, I forgive you. I began to cry with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. So I guess my question for you is this when it comes to forgiveness. Who do you need to shake hands with today? Who do you need to forgive? Maybe it's a relative who hurt you. Hurt you deeply. Maybe it's a friend who wounded you. Maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker. Could be somebody in this room who hurt you. That you need to forgive. We all want the mountains removed in our life. But we don't want to forgive those who hurt us. An unforgiving spirit, J. Vernon McGee said, will short circuit the power of prayer. Is there bitterness in your heart that you've been harboring? Is there an unforgiving spirit that you've been dealing with and holding on to? Can I encourage you to do what Corey Ten Boom? She didn't feel the vibe. She wasn't like, oh yeah, I really want to shake this guy's hand. But once she did and chose to forgive, and the feeling followed. Can I remind us all this morning that the Lord Jesus is not asking us to do something he wasn't first willing to do himself? You see, there on the cross, as he faced the ones who called for his resurrection, or I'm sorry, his crucifixion, those who pounded the nails in his hands and his feet, those who scourged him, those who blindfolded him and hit him, those who mocked him, those who spit on him, as he looks upon these people, you know what he said? He said, destroy them all, bunch of worthless sinners. Look what they did to me. I'm innocent. No, you and I both know that's not what he said. No, he cried out to his father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, he chose to forgive, even when he was completely innocent. So here, Jesus is asking us to forgive. But he set the ultimate example in forgiveness, didn't he? By the way, he's forgiven you if you're saved today. If you're not saved... You need to come to Jesus and be born again and receive the forgiveness of God in your life. We're all going to go through times when we face obstacles, mountains. When we need to ex exercise faith, expect favor, and express forgiveness. One more quick story and then we'll wrap it up today. Going back in this passage here in Mark chapter 11, verse number 20 and 21 especially 21, who was it that spoke about the withered fig, fig tree? Who was it? Who was the spokesman? Who was always the spokesman of the disciples? Peter was, the apostle Peter. And it was Jesus who answered them and went through this passage. 
But you see, later on, a few years later, Peter would indeed face an insurmountable mountain of his own later on in his life in Acts chapter number 12. Peter would need a mountain removed. What was that insurmountable situation, this overwhelming uh, situation that he was facing, this, oh, this impossible uh, problem? Well, Peter was there in prison about to be executed. Herod had already executed James, and uh, everybody, the public response to that was very positive for Herod, and he was like, hey, my polls just went through the roof. I wonder if we do that again, and maybe we could do that. Let's, let's get Peter in here, and let's execute him. Let's see then how my polls look after that. So they got Peter, put him into prison, and no doubt the next day he was going to be executed. And Peter was in that prison, and he was bound by the chains, and, and, and the church was praying for him. Peter was asleep that night. I don't know if I would be asleep the night before I knew I was going to be executed, but Peter was. In Acts chapter 12, in verse number 5, Peter was there, therefore was kept into prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Well, when did it up happening? Because of that faith in God, them exercising faith, and them expecting favor, and, and, and no doubt um, expressing forgiveness as well. The Bible says in verse number 7, Behold, the angel Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. He smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Hey, arise up quickly, wake up. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, bind on thy sandals. And he did, and so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came into the iron gate, that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, for with the angel departed from him. So this angel leads Peter out uh, to his city, to Jerusalem. The mountain was removed. And Peter learned this lesson, and so did the early church family there, as they prayed, and uh, without ceasing for God or unto God for him. They got the lesson. They got the message. They must have heard my sermon. No, they must have heard the words of Christ and applied it to their life. I want to encourage all of us to apply this to each of our lives. By the way, the greatest mountain that any of us will ever face is the mountain of our sin. No matter how hard we try, we simply cannot remove it by ourselves. We need to, as Jesus said, have faith in God. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming on the scene, declared, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. We need this mountain of sin removed, and the only way that can happen is by repenting and believing the gospel. By placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect and sinless life, his sacrificial death on the cross for our sin, his burial, and praise the Lord, his glorious resurrection. Have you done that? If not, there is a mountain in the way of you spending forever in heaven, and you cannot remove it by yourself. You need God to remove it. And the only way that can happen is if you place your faith in him. Trust in his plan of redemption and his plan of salvation. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for this passage of scripture that we've studied today. Thank you for the truth of it. 
But Lord, it's not just true. It's only true if we, it's only true for us if we apply it and if we go and do it. If we, when we face these times of mountains, when we do indeed express faith in God, when we expect you to show us favor because you are a great God who loves to do good things for his children. And then when we express forgiveness in our life. Lord, sometimes I believe that maybe you allow mountains to come into our life to get us to a place where we're faced with a person that we need to forgive. And you're not going to remove that mountain until that, that person is forgiven in our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help each one today to apply, that, that you would apply this message to each person as you see fit. And Lord, especially today, if there's one here today that's not sure that that mountain of sin has been removed in their life, I pray, Lord, they would trust Christ as their Savior and be born again. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Miss Pat, if you wouldn't mind, if you wouldn't mind beginning to play, and as she does, I want to invite you to take just a couple moments there in your seat to do business with the Lord, to thank God for His forgiveness in your life, and perhaps there's somebody that you need to forgive and you need to talk to the Lord about it. Whatever it is, I'm going to be quiet here and let the piano just play and have you have some time with the Lord.